0: I invite you to open your Bible tonight to Psalm 30, Psalm 30, a Psalm of David, the title reads, A Song at the Dedication of the Temple. The title of my message tonight is A Psalm of the Rescued, A Psalm of the Rescued. Psalm 30, this is God's word, let's give it our attention tonight. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I I plead, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory, or you could also translate my soul, may sing your praise and not be silent Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. God in heaven, these words were written a long time ago, but I thank you that the truths remain just as true today, that you are a God who helps the helpless, uh, that, Lord, you are the God who um, rescues your people, and that you've done so marvelously in Jesus. I pray that we would see him tonight, and we pray it in his name. Amen. Uh, my experience when I, I come to uh, say, okay, what am I going to preach on? We're going to do Psalm, whatever the Psalm is, almost every time uh, I'll, I'll read the Psalm and I'll think, I have no idea what that Psalm is about. Uh, but once you start uh, digging into it and sort of peeling it back, the Psalms, don't, if you just read through the Psalter, you'll, you'll sense that the, they start sounding similar, but everyone has a story to tell. Um, and everyone is uh, wonderfully applicable to the, to the Christian believer today. This here is a, a, clearly a psalm of praise, thanksgiving. David is, is um, writing out of his joy in God. And, and he's writing because he's been through a traumatic experience. Uh, the psalms are that, right? They're, they're David or the other authors uh, it, their, their expressions and experiences as they live their life of faith, and here we have just another testimony of a of a sinful man who's been um, graciously, mercifully helped and rescued by a loving and faithful God. Uh, it, it, just remember, the Psalms aren't um, David's just hobby. Well, he kind of likes to do poetry on the side. He's got this, this kingdom run and it's very stressful, but every once in a while he likes to just get away and, and uh, let the muse strike him, right, and write a little poetry. It's not a hobby. Uh, this is, these are David's prayers as he walks this life, uh, looking to, leaning on, needing um, the God that has saved him. And he writes these psalms so often under some experience of crisis. Maybe it, it'll be that enemies are literally attacking him, like we read in Psalm 7. Oh, Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. David had enemies who wanted to kill him. Saul, remember, was after him. But other times it would be an experience of a mighty majestic storm, as we saw in Psalm 29. And as the thunder reverberates over the Mediterranean, David hears the voice of the Lord. Uh, These psalms are the songs of a man who was spiritually awake, sensitive to the reality of God, and, and so communed with God. But sometimes, as is the case of all God's people, Sometimes he forgot. Sometimes he got callous, got spiritually careless. And Psalm 30 is a story about that time, a time when David forgot about the Lord. We're going to look at this under three um, sort of ways of, of looking at this psalm. First, we're going to just read it as David's psalm, David's testimony. Then we're going to l- look at it as Israel's psalm and see the, the, the role that this psalm played in the, the life of Israel's a nation. And then we're going to look at it as the Christian's psalm. How does this psalm relate uh, to us? Let's first then just look at it as David's psalm. Um, Clearly, clearly, as I said already, David is writing out of joy. He has had an experience of God graciously, miraculously delivering him. Uh, the word is uh, to draw. You've, uh, I will, I will um, Lord, you've drawn me up and not let my foes exalt over me. That word to draw is is the word you would use to draw water from a well. Uh, David is saying that uh, that was me. I, I was down in the well, the the darkness, the dankness, the the. Um, The the gates of Sheol were right there. I could see them. I was sinking down into into death, and God rescued me. Well, what is David referring to? What deadly peril uh, had had he experienced that that had him in such despair? And David lists two uh, things in the psalm, two deadly illnesses, one physical and another spiritual. First, note the physical disease, and and the commentators all um, seem to agree on this. The word David uses here for "healed me," verse two, "I cried to you for help, and you healed me," uh, is a word that specifically means he get you get better physically. It's the recovery from a physical illness. And so um, the question is asked: Well, what what illness is David experiencing? And we're we're clearly we're not told. Uh, scholars say it may very well have been dysentery, which was very common in uh, the Middle East. It, it was also obviously very serious. You could die from it. King Jehoram, if you read 2 Chronicles chapter 21, died from, uh, scholars believe, dysentery. Um, Acts 28 verse 8, uh, a man, Publius' father, lay sick with fever and dysentery. So it's a, it, was an, it was a well-known disease and a miserable disease. Cause severe abdominal pain, high fevers, devastating diarrhea, which would usually be the cause of death through dehydration. It's very possible that David is experiencing this. Uh, of course, in those days, you don't have the plethora of drugs. You don't, you don't go and spend a few days in uh, IC. You just suffer through it, um, and it's going to end one way or the other. You're going to get better or you're going to die. And so you wait to see what it is. Well, David, whatever the disease might have been, it seems that like he was very, very ill, on the verge of death, and in, in, in that uh, experience, um, desperately needs the Lord to help. I cried out to you, Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol. You, you restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. He was dying, in his, at least in his own mind. Maybe you've been that sick or you uh, had something wrong and you, didn't, you weren't sure, but it, it, uh, it, at least it was in your mind that this very possibly could be a fatal disease. And you know the relief that comes when, when it's, uh, the, the disease is cured or the diagnosis is that it is not fatal at all. That's David's experience. It's a, it's a wonderful uh, occasion. But, but notice that he rejoices in this psalm not just because he feels better, He rejoices because God has thwarted the desire of his enemies. He says it right off the bat, verse 1. I will extol you, Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Well, what's that about? Well, you you see, um, diseases were seen as evidences of divine displeasure. If you were sick, it's probably because God was uh, upset with you for something. Remember Job's friends. And Job is is suffering horribly. And his friends come and say, Well, you just gotta, you gotta confess, man. Repent. Obviously, everybody can see that you've done something horribly amiss. God is very displeased, and you simply need to confess it. Well, so for David to be to be sick, and, uh, and then to die of the disease, you see, would be evidence to his enemies, quote-unquote evidence, to his enemies, that David was a dirty, rotten scoundrel. He really was a sinner, and he did displease the Lord, and God finally got him for it. You see, David would be, sh- would be not just sick, he'd be shamed. Uh, his status with God would be, would be completely undermined. And, and so his, his enemies would rejoice that, that David, who is the king's anointed, has been rejected by the Lord. So it's, it's not just a commentary about how he felt. This is, a, this is healing equals vindication. That God has not removed his love from David. That God has not uh, taken his anointing away. David is, is still his king and loves, uh, David is loved by the Lord. And that's why he rejoices. It, it's, it's evidence to himself and to his enemies that David lives under the benediction of God. That God loves him. God has not given up on him. And this is all the more precious to David because David confesses here great sin. He mentions the anger of the Lord. His anger is but for a moment. And David is not just speaking sort of rhetorically or, I mean, uh, hypothetically it seems that David has experienced the reality of God's anger. Why, uh, why would we say that? Well, because verse 6, David confesses his sin. He says, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. David had fallen into sinful Arrogance. Uh, spiritual complacency, and he acknowledges in verse 7, by your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain strong. As he looks back on it, he realizes the only reason he was successful is because God made him successful, but, but I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. There's no reference to God in any of that. He forgot about it. The reality of God's help. This is exactly what God had warned the Israelites about. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Where God says, take care lest you forget. The Lord your God, by not keeping his commandments and rules which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full, and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up. Sign of pride. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Again, all personal pronouns. And that was David's experience. I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. It's a very wicked thing. In fact, David in Psalm 10 says this is exactly what the wicked say. Psalm 10 verse 4, in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him, God. All his thoughts are, there is no God. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I will not meet adversity. David is saying exactly what the wicked say. You see, David's confessing, I was living like a functional atheist. I was the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. I was this this proud, uh, arrogant man who took all the credit for all the blessings. That was David. And then God hid his face. Verse 7, you hid your face, and I was dismayed, undone. Now, what David is referring to, we're not exactly clear, but I I think the commentators... um, the older commentators all hold to this, it seems, but that the, what David's referring here, uh, to here is the, the, the great sin that, that he committed when he counted the Israelites, if you remember that story. In fact, why don't you just, if you have your Bible, go to Second Samuel 24, and we'll look at that in a minute. Second Samuel chapter 24. David is known, if you ask people, what was David's great sin, they'll mention Bathsheba, and that surely was a great sin, but it was not the only one. And in many ways, uh, David's sin in 2 Samuel 24 is is just as grievous, if not more. Remember, David was king, he's prospering, Uh, he begins to exalt in his power, and uh, he wants to be able to look at the stats, look at the numbers, and so he says to Joab, uh, his his commander in chief, uh, his commander, he says, "Uh, Joab, um, go and count the people. Joab, if you know anything about Joab, you know he's not a model of piety. He's kind of a base man in his own right. But Joab immediately understands this is a very, very, very bad idea. God is not going to like this. So Joab says, why do you want to do this wicked thing and bring guilt upon Israel? And he tries to dissuade David from carrying out this this census. But David's king, David persists Joab goes and numbers them, although he admits the tribe of Benjamin, because he refuses to participate fully. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, do the tribe of Benjamin or the Levites. He's not going to give accurate numbers. Well, the numbers come back, and we're, we read that David's heart struck him. He, he realized he'd sinned grievously, because, you see, he was taking all the credit, um, all the pride. It was all, it was all about him. And his confidence was going to be in his army, how many men he could assemble for war. So he confesses his sin to the Lord, but the Lord disciplines him nonetheless. And so God sends a, a prophet, Gad, and, um, and Gad says, here's what the Lord says. You can, you can take your pick of three, one of three punishments. You can have uh, three years of famine. You could have three months of being forced to flee from your foes, as they, as they come after you with the sword, or three days of three days of of plague, um, like the plagues of of Egypt. Well, David is, is, says, "I'm not going to pick any of them. I'm going to just cast myself on the mercy of the Lord." And so he throws himself on the mercy of the Lord. God sends the plague. Seventy thousand Israelites die. When David saw the anger of the Lord, he begs for mercy. And then we'll pick it up in 2 Samuel 24, if you're with me, verse 18. 2 Samuel 24, verse 18. Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite." So David went up at Gad's word as the Lord commanded. And when Aruna looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Aruna went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Aruna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, To buy the threshing floor from you, in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be averted from the people. The only way this plague was going to be stopped was through a sacrifice. And so David, uh, verse 24, he bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land and the plague was averted from Israel. In fact, um, the same story is told in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And there we have a little more details where the angel of, of death, God's angel, avenging angel, was seen coming towards Jerusalem as David is making this and working out this deal and building the altar. And the angel is stopped um, as the sacrifices are offered. It's a very dramatic picture. So David, you see, has experienced God's anger in in this situation for his complacency. And God rescued then the nation and David himself and and so, David, is this, this isn't just a nice, a nice song when he's saying, sing praises, uh, O you his saints, give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. He knows what he's talking about. The anger of God for David was a reality. It was a, it was a functioning category, the displeasure of his God. And yet, you see, underneath even the, the displeasure of God is the lifelong favor of God. David is saying that the, the, the fundamental theme, the foundation of, the, of the, his relationship and, his, uh, and the people, the relationship they have with God is, is, is not uh, on again, off again. Anger, favor, anger, favor. It's anger momentarily, but a foundation of favor. Because even, you see, the displeasure is the evidence of God's compassion, God's care, His concern. The Lord disciplines those he loves. Hebrews talks about this, right? God is treating you as sons. Every parent who loves their children disciplines their children. Why? For their good. Children need to realize that that sin is real and it's awful and it's deadly and and it has consequences. Children need to understand the necessity to, to repent and then the wonder of being forgiven and restored. Well, David is... In that position he was he was he was lost, he was blind, he needed to be brought to his senses if he 's going to be saved, and God kindly disciplines him in order to rescue him and so David is restored it 's interesting you see that that David understands this isn 't just about him that that God has um, a benefit, if you could say, in this. I, the way David argues in verses 8 through 10, is he begs for mercy, he says, what profit is there in my death? He's not trying to blackmail God. He's not going to say, Lord, um, you know the, the dust isn't going to praise you. If you want to worship her, keep me alive. He's not saying that in the sense of trying to leverage God, but he is saying, Lord, let me live and sing your praises. Psalm 51 has the same theme. Forgive me, Give me the, the, your Holy Spirit. Don't take him away. Give me the joy of my salvation, and I will do what? Then I will teach sinners, transgressors, your ways. David's going to lead people in praising a God who is willing to forgive even great sinners like himself. Heal me and let my soul live that uh, we, may, we may sing your praise as well. God heard him, verse 11 You turned from me my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth, clothed me with gladness that my soul may sing your praise and not be silent. David's been rescued so David can sing, O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Now, if you're going to understand uh, David's just sort of emotional response to God's deliverance, the only way that happens is if we deal with the categories that David was dealing with. This is not just David uh, being thankful for, that he had a good day. The categories here are death, sin, judgment, uh, an angel with a sword in his hand, and then divine deliverance. They're really significant categories. And David experiencing the, 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 the awfulness of his own sin, the, the, the righteousness of God in his judgment, and yet the wonder of God in deliverance. He sings. People who, who deal in these categories... Can't help but sing. So that's David's psalm. How is this Israel's psalm? Because these are, these are, this is Israel's song book. And again, this is not just a personal poem. It's written by the inspiration of the Spirit, and it's, uh, it's for the entire nation. And this psalm, Psalm 30, actually has a unique place in Israel's uh, religion, in, in, their, in their worship. If you notice the, the title here, a psalm of David, at the song, a song at the dedication of the temple. Now, what's wrong with that title? There's no temple. It doesn't exist. David's not going to build a temple. Solomon, his son, is going to build a temple. So, so why does that title? Why is it attached to this uh, to this psalm? Some have said, "Well, you can interpret a temple to say house, and maybe this is when David built his house. Maybe, maybe it's that." But I don't think that holds up. Um, it's clear we know from um, Jewish history that, that this psalm is actually inextricably linked to the temple. Did you know that Orthodox Jews sing Psalm 30 every year to celebrate Hanukkah? It's the psalm of the day for Hanukkah. Uh, for those of you who don't remember your Jewish history, just a quick recap. Uh, Hanukkah is the celebration of uh, something that happened 165 years before Jesus was born. Uh, This wicked, wicked king, Antiochus Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, was persecuting the Jews and he desecrated the temple by uh, raising an altar to Zeus there in the courtyard and then they sacrificed pigs on the the, the altar. This is happening in uh, the temple that Zerubbabel had built. And so the temple is, is desecrated. It's uh, in, in, in every spiritual way destroyed. Well, in 165, the revolutionaries led by a Maccabee, uh, um, the Maccabean Revolt that it's called, uh, they take over the temple again, and they purify it, and that's what the Jews celebrate for Hanukkah, the, the uh, cleansing and reclaiming of the temple in 165. We know, it's also called the Festival of Lights, we know from John 10, Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. He celebrated the festival of the lights. This is when he says, I am the light of the world. So this is part of, of Christ's experience. But why Psalm 30 for Hanukkah? Two uh, reasons. One, because it is linked with the first temple, if you remember the threshing floor of Arunah that David went to and built an altar, we know that that actually became the building site for the temple at David's own command. So in 1 Chronicles 22 verse 1, David said, here shall the house of the Lord uh, shall be the house of the Lord God, and here the altar of burnt offering for Israel. That was the place for the temple, and that's exactly where Solomon built it. Uh, death was halted there by the, by, the, um, by the sacrifices that were raised, and so that becomes the temple site. So that's one reason why the linkage is there, but it's also because, you see, David's personal story was Israel's story. They, they had experienced the discipline of the Lord. How many times, if you just think about Israel's history, they're wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. Why? The Lord was disciplining them because of their sin. If some of you are studying the book of Judges. What do you find in the book of Judges? Discipline, right? Uh, the Philistines come, and they ransack, and they rule, and, and then the people cry out to the Lord, and the Lord raises up a judge, and he delivers them. So this... They're little kids growing up uh, in in the household of the Lord and they're being disciplined and yet the favor of God is is the constant theme. And so David's psalm here is the psalm of the people of God. But the beauty you see is that the temple is the final full evidence of that favor. The temple, the beautiful thing about a temple, it's not an idea, it's not a doctrine, it's not a feeling, it's a place. And it stands for the presence of God. He's there in the temple between the cherubim. It stands for the blessing of God, that, that Israel and God are in this relationship Um, God is for them, God is with them, God's favor is upon them. And so even when they fall into sin, God says, if you will look toward this temple and you will pray and seek my face, I will hear from heaven and I will heal your sin. I'll forgive your sin, I will heal your land. The temple, you see, was, was their spiritual identity. It was it, it, it defined who they are as a people. They are the people who belong to the God who dwells with them. And as long as the temple was there, then no matter what discipline might come, no matter how their enemies might threaten, the enemy was not going to prevail. God's favor was the foundation they lived upon, in, and joy then was their destiny. All the categories of sin and death and judgment are answered by the temple. God is for us. God is with us. And so that's why Israel, Jews still, every Hanukkah, sing Psalm 30. How is this the Christian psalm? And we'll wrap with this. Well, it's a Christian song because this is our testimony too. If you've been a Christian for any period of length at all, you know that uh, you know the the disciplining hand of God. You you know that um, there are times when you get spiritually complacent and you just sort of wander off. Uh, your heart becomes proud and hard and careless. And and because God loves you, God inter intercedes, he intervenes with your life. He hides his face. He He shatters your pride. He lets you fall maybe into a grievous sin or brings you into some trial. In some way, in in his perfect wisdom, God knows how to do this. He just knows how to, hey, hey, wake up. Snap out of it. Uh, He reminds us who we are. We are creatures made of dust. We are sinful people who sin against all that we know to be true. Uh, we are people who left to ourselves would throw God away in a moment. Uh, we're people who cannot keep ourselves alive physically or spiritually, and and we just need to be reminded of that. Isn't it wonderful how God, again, He knows exactly how to do this. He can he can um, he can cripple your pride in a, in a moment by by just exposing you to yourself. And then when you're, when you're humbled and when you're dismayed and you cry out to God and you beg for forgiveness and you ask for his mercy, and then the blessing of forgiveness. Joy comes in the morning. There, there, there will be weeping in the night uh, under the disciplining hand of God. There will be the, the, the pain of, of uh, shame and embarrassment or just the pain of a, a trial Maybe physical pain from, a, from, a, from an illness. There'll be spiritual darkness and sadness because we've offended the God that we love and, and we've hurt other people and we can't undo it. We can't make it right. But joy comes in the morning. Maybe it's just a time of prayer as you're before the Lord and you're praying and, and um, the Spirit just testifies with your spirit that you're forgiven. That God's love has not been taken away from you. Maybe it's in a worship service and there's a song or or something takes place. Maybe it's the message and and God speaks to you in that message and says, peace, be still. Uh, Maybe the Spirit just brings a biblical promise to mind. You find that in Lamentations 3. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And so this is our experience as Christians. But you see, this is uh, this is our psalm not just because we can relate to it; it's it's our psalm because it reminds us of the objective reality of God's favor. It's tremendously sad if you think about it that Jews sing Psalm 30 every Hanukkah. Do you know why? Uh, It's sad. It's sad because they don't have a temple. The temple is no longer there. It's gone. Destroyed in 70 A.D., almost 2,000 years ago. And so they don't have a place. They don't have an objective evidence of God's favor. Why don't they? Well, because you see that, that Old Testament symbol has been replaced by the New Testament reality. And the objective evidence of God's favor for sinners is not found in a building any longer, but it's found in a person, the man Jesus Christ. And so this is our psalm because this is is Christ's psalm. Think about Jesus singing this psalm, particularly as, as he, the sinless son of David, the faithful and true Israel, experiences the disciplining hand of God. He is stricken by God and afflicted. He entered the gates of Sheol. He suffered the wrath of God for our sin. God the Father hid his face from Jesus and he was dismayed. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the experience of the sinless son of God as he bore our sin. There was weeping then. There was despair. Christ was sweating drops of blood. The disciples were weeping. There was darkness, literally darkness. The enemies of God rejoiced, confident. It's finally done. We got rid of him. The Christ is finished. We saw him dead on a cross, an emblem of shame and wrath and judgment, despised by men, rejected by God, buried in a tomb. That was the night of Good Friday. But then came the morning. I just this week I was as I was studying this. I remember the song that I think the Gaither Trio back in the day. Then came the morning. Maybe you know the song. I I would sing it for you, but I I don't dare. But Let me just say the words for you. It's a great song. Um, They all walked away, the disciples, nothing to say. They just lost their dearest friend. All that he said, now he was dead. So this is the way it would end? The dreams they had dreamed were not what they'd seemed. Now that he was dead and gone, the garden, the jail, the hammer, the nail. How could a night be so long? Then came the morning. Then came the morning. Night turned into day. The stone was rolled away. Hope rose with the dawn. Then came the morning. Shadows before the sun. Death had lost Life had won, for morning had come. Then came the morning. And brothers and sisters, that's why we sing. Because the morning has come. Jesus Christ rose from that grave. The sacrifice accepted. Atonement finished. Sins pardoned. Sinners reconciled. Your sin, my sin. Jesus is the sacrifice on the threshing floor, the sacrifice that turns away wrath. Propitiation is the biblical term. But that's what happens. It's the the sacrifice that stops death in its tracks. The death that deservedly was coming your way and coming my way has been stopped by the hand of God as the sacrifice of Jesus Christ has been offered up. And so, you see, we have an objective reality to point to, not a temple, something far greater than a temple, Jesus Christ himself. And we can enter with boldness and confidence, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, let me just quickly read that for you. Uh, Hebrews 10 verse 17, then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Have you committed lawless deeds? things completely over the line, off limits, out of bounds, an offense against God. Have you done that? Yes, you have. Of course you have. I will remember that, God says, no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. The offering happened once for all. Therefore, brothers, since we... great boldness, boldness, confidence, joy, into the most holy place. Because in Jesus Christ, all the categories have been resolved. Your sin, the reality of death, uh, the, the judgment that you deserved, it's all been taken care of in the deliverance that's received in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, now we have the, the objective evidence of God's eternal favor your enemies will not exalt over you isn't that good to know because man they would love to the world and the flesh and the devil would love nothing more than to see you fall to see you lost on that last day to stand before the the throne of god and taunt you as they point out your sin and demand that god destroy you but your enemies are not going to exalt over you not if jesus christ is your savior and lord Jesus Christ is the promise of everlasting joy. He's the objective foundation for confidence in this life and for the life to come. God loves you. That's what Jesus says to you. His favor is for you. The challenge is to believe it, to receive it, to accept it, to submit to it. It's God's promise. My question to you this this evening is simply this. Do Do you know this Jesus? Do you know him this way? So, so that you have somewhere rumbling down deep inside you this, this sense, I need, I need to sing. The, the morning has dawned on my life, on, for, for my soul. Death, my death has been defeated, and, and Christ has become now my life. Everlasting life that nothing can take away from me. If you've never been there, if you have no sense of that, my, my plea to you would just be, get on your knees and talk to the Lord about that. This Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. He came to rescue us from death. He's for you if you will confess your sin and turn to him. And for those of you who have done that, keep doing this. This is the secret for our life. We've been rescued. Let's sing. Amen. Oh, God in heaven, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the wonder of resurrection morning. When. The devil and all his hosts thought that they had won and then Jesus Christ triumphed over them, having accomplished our salvation through the sacrifice of his body. And I thank you, O God, that, that this Jesus now reigns at the right hand of God. This Jesus is sovereign king over this world. We belong to him and nothing can separate us from him. Lord, I pray that this truth would be peace for our heart, would be joy for our soul, no matter what circumstances we are in today the weeping might be here but it's here for a night joy comes in your morning in your time and lord we look forward to that eternal morn that will dawn soon when we get to sing forever with our savior but until then lord keep us believing keep us trusting keep us delighting in jesus we pray it in his name amen